0: This is an ABC podcast. Hi, I'm James Glenday.
1: And I'm Melissa Clark.
0: And this is a special episode of the Australia Votes podcast. Throughout this campaign, we've been focused on where the election is going to be won and lost in lower house seats. But... There are several very tight upper house races that are likely to determine how and what the next government can pass into law. In summary, the next Senate is looking like it could be fairly tricky to navigate, particularly if the polls are right and the Labor opposition wins the election.
1: And that's because right now the Senate is made up of 35 coalition senators, 26 Labor senators, 9 Greens and 6 others. 40 spots are up for grabs. The races in three states and one territory look to be the most crucial. So let's start with what is usually the least crucial, one of the safest (laughs) races in the country, and that's the ACT Senate race. This time we have a former Wallabies rugby union star, who has the backing of Climate 200, hoping to cause a massive upset. Adam Shirley, the morning's host for ABC Radio Canberra, has been watching the campaign really closely.
2: Most elections, the discussion always comes around which way will the second Senate seat fall? To some people's chagrin here in the ACT, there's only two senators. The Greens always put forward a candidate. It's Tatiana Goring-Goring. But this time around, two independents have put their hand up. Kim Rubenstein, who's a constitutional lawyer and expert, also former rugby star and environmentalist David Pocock. And the theory that he and his supporters have is that new leadership is required, a strong representation of real-world ACT issues, and that he's the man to do it. His core flutes everywhere, a strong digital campaign, his volunteering campaign is pretty solid from the get-go. It depends on whether David Pocock can get enough preferences from the Greens and from other candidates to push past Senator Zedtse Again, the Liberals are always discussed as maybe losing that second seat. They never do. What's often missed in Canberra, I think, is there is a solid chunk of support for the Liberals here. and. It's going to take a fair bit of preference movement to displace that to the point that he loses his seat.
0: I think as this campaign's gone on, David Pocock looks as though he has taken votes, not just off the Liberals, but also off the Labour Party. And I think it's really interesting to think about that because Canberra is effectively a one-party town. It's been ruled at a local level by the Labour Party for a very long time, and it has three lower house seats all held by the Labor Party. And even the traditionally marginal seat of eden Monero, which neighbours this area, is also held by the Labor Party. And I think that there is... This sense in the community and anger at politicians, and kind of an anger at the status quo. And I think that David Pocock is actually taking some of that anger. And plus, there was that little controversy around Katie Gallagher and the Mean Girls stuff, which I don't think helped. It's really, really interesting race.
1: And I don't think we can rule out that tactical approach here because I know that within David Pocock's very large team of supporters Mm -hmm. and volunteers, there are Labor Party members and Labor Party supporters, long-time supporters, who are very keen to see Zed Seselja, the Liberal Senator, Mm -hmm. knocked out, and they are more than happy to move their vote away from Labor to achieve what they see as a higher objective, which is removing the Liberals. Yeah,
0: and it's the the most um, engaged part of the entire country. I think this race is so important is because if, if you look at the numbers in the Senate, Labor did badly at the last election. So it's got well, 26 senators. It now is going to have to pick up a couple of senators at this election, but it's going to have to work with the Greens to pass legislation. Depending on how well the Greens do, it looks as though you could get a situation where Labor to pass legislation has to deal with itself, the Greens, and then one or two crossbenchers. And David Pocock could be one of those. So it is actually a really, really important thing because you would just presume that David Pocock is probably going to have more in common with the left side of politics.
1: It's a jurisdiction where that final seat could go to either side of politics broadly, whereas some of the other contests are contained within different parties or individuals, either to the left or to the right. And look, another battle that is going to be key Mm. for that very reason is Tasmania, the sixth spot in Tasmania. There are a number of minor parties hoping to pick it up, and that includes veteran Liberal Senator Erica Betts, who's doing everything he can to stay in the Senate. ABC Radio Hobart breakfast presenter Rick Goddard says the race is really tight.
3: It's going to be really interesting. I mean, Senator Erica Betts, obviously hugely influential, hugely powerful. It's been dropped to what's generally regarded as an unwinnable place on the list. But he's incredibly So he's gone
1: from, he he used to be first on the the Liberals ticket, but now he's in that number three slot.
3: Yeah. And so, but. He's incredibly well known and highly liked and highly respected, and anyone who's been doing that job for as long as he has has got personal connections with huge numbers of people he's helped. He's a very available, very accessible politician. Um, He's running very much as an independent, so you won't see any L for Liberal on any of his posters. There's no blue. Uh, He's running on his name and his record and reputation. Whereas Jackie Lambie is really trying to step up and be more like a party. There's very strong yellow branding. She's endorsing other candidates um, in other areas. And again, she's someone who was really unexpected as a politician and has gone on to be an absolute dogged representative of her constituents. And so she's very well liked. There's also another group of independents here who are called the local party. And so it's a group of independents who have agreed to a few key things but then don't have to tow a party line if they're elected, uh, but they support each other to run. So um, that's really interesting uh, to see how they'll perform and whether they'll get any cut through here or not.
0: I think there's two really interesting things with this, or maybe three. One Eric Abetz is extremely polarizing. People tend to either really love him or absolutely hate him. So he gets there'll be people who vote below the line just to put him last. In fact, he gets the most last votes out of any candidate, but I think conversely he'll probably also get a lot of firsts, and I do wonder what that will mean to the overall makeup. I wouldn't rule out the fact that he could sneak into second spot for the Liberals. I think the other question is can the Liberal Party in Tasmania claim three uh, Liberal senators? Generally Right-wing minor parties in that state are not as strong, so it has a better shot. Also, there's a Liberal government at a state level, and also those two marginal seats, which we've talked about a lot, of Bass and Braddon, are going to be really close. Both major parties think they're going to be really close, so the Liberal vote might actually hold up better down there. He is super key to the makeup of the Senate, because if there's an extra representative of Jackie Lambie's party, you think that gives Labor just a bit more wriggle room um, on on negotiating stuff? If there's there's, Eric
1: Abetz, There's no wriggle (laughs) room. He's never going to help the Labor Party in the Senate if he can help it.
0: He openly says that, right? He's a warrior. And I think also it sort of says something about the Liberal Party too, because we're seeing Conchetta Fioranti-Wells go, Conservative in New Mm -hmm. South Wales. People like Kevin Andrews have gone. Tony Abbott's long gone. Those kind of old, hardcore, religious Conservatives who have always kind of worn their heart on their sleeves. He's one of the the few that's still there and kind of an interesting question about the future of the
1: party. I think probably also a question about uh, the nature of religious conservatism within Mm. the Liberal Party, but that's probably a whole other podcast. (laughs) Let's not go there right now. (laughs)
0: So let's look at South Australia, where, I mean, this is probably the most messy race. A very familiar face is shaking things up, hoping to make a return. Nick Xenophon, Mr X, as he's sometimes called, can he regain the seat he gave up to run for state parliament in that really disastrous run? There's a lot of different views about this, Mel. Uh, Nikolai Baleharts, the breakfast presenter at ABC Radio in Adelaide, has been keeping an eye on it for us.
4: Well, it's a... It's an intriguing question. Um, I think that there's been a lot of talk uh, about whether, in making this decision to come back, Nick Xenophon is is going to kind of snooker, potentially, uh, himself and Rex Patrick, because mm. they would share a pretty common kind of voting pool. Uh, and I think it'd be fair to say that Rex Patrick is pretty well regarded in, in South Australia for what he's done in, in his t- uh, time as a senator. Um, there seems to be a, a doubt that you'd get both of them back in. So, the, I think one of the one of the interesting arguments that's come up is uh, if you split the vote between Nick Xenophon and Rex Patrick, neither of them get up, and then maybe someone like a One Nation comes in and gets that spot. Mm. Um, so, I mean, he has such a Nick Xenophon has such a high brand recognition nationally, but as you can imagine, probably even stronger in South Australia. Everyone knows who he is, everyone knows his name. Uh, so will there be a, a, a portion of the population that will just see his name on the, the slip and say, yes, I know that name, let's let's give mm. the vote to him. But at the same time, there also seems to have been a little bit of a shift, and this is a little bit more anecdotal, but there's there's been a little bit more of a shift away from um, the kind of stunt politics that, that really got him to prominence in, 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 in the first place. Mm. So i w- I wouldn't say it's a sure thing, but yeah, you, know, you know the 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 old cliche of he's the x factor well that that could well play out again.
0: so mel South Australia. Hard to tell where that one could go. There's actually been a Senate campaign down there with people, apparently even people like standing out with wobble boards saying, don't forget the Senate, et cetera, et because cetera, they've only got one marginal lower house seat. They've got nothing else to worry about apparently. It's all about the upper house in South Australia. A wobble board? <laughs> apparently Don Farrell, who's known as the godfather for his uh, um, persuasiveness behind the scenes, the original faceless man in leadership changes and things like that, <laughs> apparently he's actually been out on the street with a wobble board. I got that from his office, so I'm con- convinced that's correct because he's second on the... Ticket. Sometimes Labor's only won one because there's so many different minor groupings down there. So that, I think, South I, think Australia... I think
1: often the Senate contest in South Australia is in the <laughs> internal party meetings rather than at the polling yes. booths. So this might be a different one. Uh, but look, let's go to the, the really unpredictable Senate race in this yeah. election. And this is the one in Queensland. So we have One Nation leader Pauline Hanson. Uh, she's likely to retain her seat. But the question is can she bring someone else along with her? Uh, or if the United Australia Party leader, Clive Palmer, former MP himself, uh, uh, whether he can do it, whether former Queensland Premier turned Liberal Democrat Campbell Newman can take it or someone else. uh, Key to these ambitions of all of these conservative, uh, right-of-centre minor parties uh, is central Queensland. That's where they're all looking to pick up votes. Paul Culliver, breakfast presenter on ABC Capricornia, says enthusiasm for minor parties there is quite high.
5: The, the numbers bear out that Central Queensland is a very strong place for One Nation to garner some votes. Um, obviously, when we talk about state politics, which I'm about to do, there's the big caveat of there is a difference between state and federal. Um, but we had electorates around Rocky and Yapoon in my part of the world uh, that there was a very serious consideration that in the state election in October of 2020, uh, that the One Nation vote was going to be so big that they could actually clinch some of those seats. In fact the only uh, Queensland Parliament member uh, is from uh, our part of the world, the seat of a Morani, um, and that is held by a One Nation member. Um, and so the vote uh, was thought to maybe, you know, if you flip into that 20 30% uh, and the preferences go the right way, you could, you could win a seat. The opposite happened. Their vote collapsed. Uh, and so taking that as any kind of data point going into this you kind of wonder whether that interest has waned. Uh, obviously, we're talking about the Senate and the proportional representation. You don't need that big majority of vote, but when Central Queensland is a big, is a part of that whole Queensland voting block for the Senate, um, it's going to be really interesting to see where it goes. Because of course, you've got one nation, but then you've got Campbell Newman. He's spending a lot of time in Central Queensland. He thinks that's fertile ground for him to get some votes. Uh, we're going to be, uh, deluged by United Australia party, Clive Palmer. Interestingly enough, Clive Palmer is currently waiting for environmental approval for a coal mine right here in central Queensland. So that's an interesting prospect that you've got someone who's on the Senate ticket who is also potentially a direct provider of jobs in the region. So I think that could be a flashpoint for trying to garner those votes. Um, but I think generally it all feeds into wherever those votes go, there is. Uh, a general dissatisfaction with the major parties. There is a sense that we've had a tough two years and the major parties didn't do nearly enough to look after us and to provide the opportunities to have that wealth come back into the region. And so people are looking elsewhere. And those last two spots on the Senate ticket for Queensland is going to be very interesting to watch. Unfortunately, we probably won't know the results election night, but I'll be looking at that counter with much interest.
1: Look, James, I think Queensland is one of the most interesting Senate races, but it's really only going to be interesting if the coalition retains government. And that seems less likely at the moment.
0: Yeah, you'd think so. And it's because you've got a conservative senator replacing another conservative senator it just depends whether that's a senator from one nation or palmer united party or the liberal democrats versus uh, amanda stoker who of course is a front bencher she's considered a really key part of the future of the liberal party particularly in queensland she's conservative herself but it's not going to change the voting dynamic who gets that third seat i don't think i mean maybe labor's vote will collapse up there and they'll end up with four well Senators on the right, but you'd have to think it'll be three three, and uh, that would probably at this stage benefit one of the minor parties, which makes the Senate even more more interesting.
1: Look, we'll be all focused and all eyes on the lower House over the next week, but once the rush of election day and the day after has passed, then we'll come back and see where the Senate (laughs) has landed and what fate whoever wins government uh, has to deal with when looking at both houses.
0: And this is one thing that actually someone in Labor said. They said, oh, the media criticises us all the time and says that uh, small target, everything else. And they sort of tried to put it, I don't know if this is just convenient justification, that the next upper house is always going to be tricky and therefore it's not really right to promise the world given that they know that a lot of these things are going to involve quite a lot of negotiation with a lot of people. So
1: I think Labor would say that though. I mean, we're (laughs) not in the situation we were when we had a Senate that was a double dissolution Senate and things were significantly harder. But look, let's wrap it up. Back to the lower house now as we eye off the final days to polling day on May 21. I'm Melissa Clark.
0: And I'm James Glenday.
1: You can listen in to our other episodes where we've checked in around the country on the ABC Listen app now. Thanks for listening.
5: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.